they received no money from the American federal government. Yeah, but that's like, oh, we didn't receive it in our left hand, but in our right hand, sure, we sure, did sure. receive it. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think we're on the same page. I just, I do want to try and... Uh, hypocrisy is out in the world for sure and i agree with you ellen but so like the the interesting thought that i was having especially so like for a while you were really trying to keep us on subject of the Zenor book but you know the Zenor book is is kind of focused on uh reality formation and reality for so long has been trump because that's what we've been like since he's such an egoist, the subject of the moment is always him, it seems like. And so it's impossible to talk about what's going on without talking about him. But then the interesting thing that I was thinking about is like the people that voted for him, they were tired with how things were. They were they had resentments from Obama. They wanted things to be different, like they wanted change, right? And so they wanted him to blow everything up and he was kind of doing that. He definitely was. And so I don't know if reality, like we can't put things back into autopilot, like neoliberal autopilot where like your, your exoteric, esoteric comments, you know, it's like Republicans are doing visibly horrible things and then Democrats are doing uh, undercover horrible things. Like I wonder the world that we're, we enter into in 2021, what that world is, and whether or not you can put the genie back in the bottle after Trump, or if we actually do have to rethink the structure of society so that it's equitable, equitable for everyone, and that corporations can't just do whatever the hell they want because they have money and power. I mean, maybe... Well, it's a question of consequences, right, Doug? Because... If you say that the neoliberal project, and for me, Nancy McLean's Democracy in Chains becomes a really important book. And this all comes around to Roe v. Wade, which is actually a reaction to Brown versus the... There's no way to resegregate the schools after Brown versus the Board of Education. So it was a sleight of hand to move to Roe v. Wade. And then that drummed up that kind of evangelical Christian voter. But that's within the boundaries of America. And the reality is that whatever happens on the chessboard, the ripple effect is felt all around the world. So there's no way to kind of isolate and the pandemic is really instructive in that because Trump in one sense is all he's the all American boy right and he's not the quarterback you know unfair big broad-shouldered you know Rambo figure that they try to make him out to be but he is that also at the same time yet if you're outside of the if you can think outside of the united states then you see the way that actually trump is in relationship to putin or trump is in relationship to president xi or trump is in relationship to scott morrison in australia or boris johnson in the uk or you know the leaders in south africa or nigeria or new zealand 
right? Or Greta Thunberg even. Like Trump is in a relationship with and that is the Hegelian dialectic. Right. Sure. And I so I want you know, I want to I want I want to understand from a non US perspective, but I mean just for just for the conversation of repainting and rebranding, you know, we just had um, Joe Biden. So now he's, you know, he hasn't even taken office yet, but he's announcing who's going to be in his, who his cabinet positions are. And they're all fucking horrendous. You know, look at um, the, there was a huge outrage uh, this summer over the forced hysterectomies done by ICE. Right. Do, do you guys remember and this was like yeah. we, we all cared about this for five fucking minutes. No, I still, no anyone else I'm remember that? Disgusted that, by the, it <laughs> because because the guy who who started that was just picked by Joe Biden to lead uh, Homeland Security. What the fuck? So you know when yeah. you have moments like this where you say. Again, it's just you know the the selective the selective outrage or the 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 short attention span for outrage is 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 worrisome t- to me. Um, you know, so uh, again, I, I'm not trying to, to. I really want to understand your perspective of saying, hey, this is outside of the U.S. But I'm saying, like, with within being being inside the belly of the beast, I I think that's the distinction is from the outside. A paint job. If you repaint the war machine, it looks like a new. But from being inside it, I see that the chassis is has not been replaced. That's good. Well, I mean, it's it's the same thing of like you've painted over the swastika, but you've put a seven thirty one in its in its stead. It's like okay, the gloss of the global north and the concentration camps is gone but you all ignored the parallels in the global south and so you're illiterate when it comes to recognizing that symbology and it holds just as much power so for sure yeah like, that's good. in that sense it's like well biden or trump from an australian perspective like, what choice do we have we can speculate as to will will Biden be better than Trump in terms of, you know, our biggest issues, which is our kind of relationship, our very complex relationship with China as our biggest military adversary and our biggest economic trading partner simultaneously with this implicit notion that we need the US to be aggressively upset if China threatens us in any kind of way so that the US military defends our way of life mm. against yeah. you know China like because if 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 Trump was to fully abdicate his position like if he had won another term and then he was to fully abdicate his position as an isolationist and start to shut down military bases around the world for egoistic reasons without any larger strategy in mind, then what what happens to the Australian way of life, you know? 
and it's the reality is that it doesn't even have to be China. Like if Indonesia wanted to seriously, you know, people talk about white genocide and the great replacement theory. It's not nonsense. It's, it's absolute nonsense. But the parallel would be like, literally if the people in Indonesia decided they need more living space, uh, they would come to Australia because we are so interconnected. And that's just Indonesia. That's not talking about South Asia in, in general, let alone China as a monolith within that. So, you know, the, 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 the eggs have been cracked, but I can't see the omelette. Can I throw this out to you guys uh, for your opinion? Uh, I am of the opinion if uh, COVID-19 had not emerged and this great lockdown had not happened, I think Trump would have won in a landslide uh, in November. Uh, did you easily. guys? Yeah. Right? Yes. It, 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 yeah, easily. 400 um, at least, right? Uh, right. I mean, his economic engine, uh, based on his policies, whether no matter how you judge it, was favorable to a great amount of people, whether or not it was actually favorable, they were seeing, um, uh, you know, instantaneous changes in their lives, whether or not those were short-term plastic uh, changes, they were feeling them. There was a tactile change in their life, or maybe they were imagining a tactile change in their life just because they were seeing a white man on TV lead the country again. But it is amazing that a, a virus that comes from China uh, comes to America, completely reroutes the political uh, outcome. Or, yep. Did it come from America and break out in China, right? Because now it's been revealed that it was in America from the Red Cross blood samples that they went back and looked over the pathogens in them. And it was in, uh, it was in parts of the United States in early December 2019. Get the fuck out of here. No. That's, that's crazy. So what happens then if in two years' time when everything's kind of, quote-unquote, normal or a new normal uh, and we're in the process of building back better, um, you know, and I don't know what the relationship between Triple B and, say, KKK is, but there's something interesting there, right, with the alliteration, but at the same time, what does happen to the narrative if it turns out that coronavirus or COVID-19 really did begin? <laughs> I mean, for history's sake, let's say it began in Kansas, like the Spanish flu. What, what happens at that point, Bill? Well, I would definitely question as to why an entire country with as much intelligence as China uh, wasn't aware of that and sat back and silently uh, accepted uh, the genesis of a virus in their country, that isn't true. Uh, I think it all depends on how China reacts to that information. Um, but that's a game changer. Um, I had never heard of that. So you were saying that Trump would have won easily had this never happened. And I, th I think it wouldn't have been easily, but he would have 
handily won, probably. But if he actually had faced coronavirus and been presidential and behaved in a way... So this was like a slow pitch. You know, it's like, okay, here's your crisis. Now rise to the occasion. So like if you look at presidential approval, when when Bush is dealing with 9-11, he had the highest approval of any president in the, in the modern era. Like this could have been... Mm his slam dunk if if it was in him to face a crisis and it and it really just i mean he didn't face it and so like he I, ran away from it he's still running away from he's it, not right? yeah he's well, just guys, a, he's, guys when dr fauci comes out in march in a in a three-minute clip and admits on camera without any hesitation yes the medical community decided to lie about the efficacy of masks because we were afraid of an implosion in the medical healthcare system in America. So we had to tell the American public that masks were not important to prevent uh, mass stockpiling of a uh, medical item that was uh, necessary for frontline workers. And he said, hey, we hey, lied hey, about hey, it yeah. in February and we lied about it in March. Okay. So if that was the protocol based in that uh, time period, then whoever was president would have had to live with that lie for February or March. So but the difference you don't is, have, you don't have well, one, more, you one more point. Have... You don't have the polished uh, sheen of a politician who has all of Hollywood behind him to smokescreen and to sell that and to confuse so that the president doesn't look like a bumbling fool. Trump would have to go out in front of the country knowing, hey, you gotta lie about the masks. You gotta lie about this. You gotta stop the panic. It was just a poor television performance, right? Uh, anybody who was a leader of America would have had to deal with that two month lie. And I just don't understand why that fact is never dissected as as just a smoking gun of political, um, of a political masquerade. Well, so even at every step, though, like he doesn't act like this is a real thing. He's never act like it's anything we have to worry about. He's always downplayed it. I think, I think, if I may, the piece of evidence that I would go to in this conversation of like how how you know it, how, if you want to say this was. Um, I, I, Bill, I like your point of, okay, you have, this is how you have to approach the situation. This is blah, 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 okay, whatever. And then at what point do you turn that around? Or rather than that question, go to the, the fruits of the actions and say, what were the actual actions? Not what had to be said in front of TV, but when it's saying, hey, we need this, these masks shipped, we need protective equipment for our hospitals. When Trump continues to lie about, a seizing that those materials where he's shipping it when he gets on TV and says, "Oh, you know, I don't think I'm going to ship uh, this equipment to these people because they weren't very nice to me." I mean, like that that those moments are the moments where you say you really made this about your power struggle, not about addressing any uh, truth or or lie or anything. Right? How do you feel about that as a uh, like throwing that into well, it, this conversation is not so much of what's being said, but what's being done. 
Well, he placated the right wing and the alt wing crazy our alt right crazies because even though he was bumbling and foolish, they had their guy in, and so they could trust it and not really have to follow along with the words. Um, if Hillary Clinton had to deliver that message uh, from a position of power, being a female, uh, I think that the alt right and that kind of sect would have flipped their shit, and I think we would be in the middle of a civil war. Um, or even if it was Bernie Sanders. Or Sanders, exactly. It's a the messenger, not the message, is definitely. But what the is message the was: this is not a big deal, and we don't need like a federal directed plan. Your governors will, and so that what's what's been bizarre is well, in a place where you do have breakouts, and your local Republicans are saying, no, we have to deal with this. We need a plan, and you have to behave this way. But then they're being undercut by the the larger message coming from the top that, you know, this isn't that big a deal. And but that's what's interesting, Doug, is that's not unique to the American right, because the exact same thing happened in Australia, where my state was basically left to its own devices with very little federal help. And the right wing politicians and the right wing narratives within Australia were essentially Trumpian. The difference was that the pre-existing political configuration that had developed as a result of the bushfires rolled straight into the pandemic response. The bushfires so not being that, anything to do with George Bush, but that you, your country was on fire for... Literally, yeah. We lost, like, you know, I think it was upwards of you know, hundreds of millions of livestock and wild wildlife and, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of kilometers of, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was awful. It was really, really awful. And, you know, days where it looked like San Francisco with the red sky and the, and the billows of smoke. And so the pandemic was already underway by then. Like by late January, we knew that the pandemic was coming uh, just internally because like we teach a lot of children, uh, children, God, <laughs> cut take two. We teach a lot of students from China at my workplace and they all went back for Lunar New Year, which is like their big celebration um, where, you know, it's kind of like Thanksgiving where people travel all across the country and you have like the maximum intersection of vector points. So if you were, if you were going to talk about it being a pandemic, then it makes sense that it would be Wuhan on Lunar New Year because Wuhan's kind of the nexus point of all the different like rail and automobile travel points, right? Within the Chinese system within the Chinese metro system and so we have all these people coming back and we're not sure if they've got anything to come back to and if they're if they're bringing it into the country when they come back while simultaneously wondering whether our our houses in in the coastal areas are, are still going to be standing because of this bushfire that isn't being properly dealt with and our prime ministers in Hawaii 
on holiday because he needed a break. So because of that combination of things, by the time the pandemic became real, those kind of right-wing narratives just weren't able to take hold in Australia and in particular in Victoria. Okay, but then how did you guys, like, what did you do differently as a state in Victoria? Because you said that you're as successful as New Zealand and from uh, the world perspective is that New Zealand has been one of the most successful places in dealing with this, like uh, maybe Taiwan too, where life has returned to normal. Yeah, I think life hasn't fully returned to normal here, but, you know, we we have much more ability to like they're reopening cinemas and stuff um but it was a real it was a it was a brutal and hard lockdown where one of the goals that we had early on was basically to get a major highway empty for an extended period of time no traffic on it we had a curfew um, and the police were given a range of increased powers to arrest and fine people. Um, we had uh, stay-at-home orders, which were if you can work from home, you must work from home, and that's actually still in effect. Um, and essentially everybody kind of, got a little bit paranoid about it and and took it to some extent seriously and we had we had some people we had the young people who on the first kind of hot day because this also happened so on the first sort of hot day of spring there was a whole lot of people who flocked to the beach and then that kind of led to a mini outbreak and everyone was really worried that that would extend the lockdown period um, and so you had a lot of reaction to that behavior as being selfish, as being immature. Um, and then you also had your anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers who went and fought with the police. But there, there was relatively small numbers in both instances for a city of so many people. And the reality is we had huge compliance to some very, very strict uh, like at one point, the only stop shops that were open were supermarkets, alcohol shops, and chemists. Everything else was ordered to be closed. It's amazing that society didn't implode. I'm surprised that the world is that. You know, you went through the Great Fire. I'm surprised the world isn't on fire right now. I'm sure in in the hearts and fears of many people, it is on fire. But just structurally, I mean, even with the riots in America, and, and it's unfair to really call it riots because it's, it's equal protest and equal fallout. Um, I'm amazed that less destruction has happened. Um, and I agree. Really only I agree. There's really only one defining variable uh, in this pandemic, and that is the World Wide Web. I can't see any other variable that has prevented... Uh, what did you say was the variable? I didn't hear it. Uh, the World Wide Web, the internet. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, getting the information out, even with all the misinformation, the core facts were delivered uh, 
lockdowns happened, businesses were shut, people were assured that they would be able to survive without that uh, economic uh, freedom, and people trusted it. And for the most part, the majority followed along, like you said. But I feel like we failed. Like we, we did step one and we didn't have any step two or three. So like we locked down without understanding what we were doing. And then like it was all in vain. That's, that's how it feels to me that like, that there was this initial suffering, but it really wasn't messaged very well. And then there was nothing on the other side to like, so like, let's say there is a, uh, flare up somewhere. There's no way we didn't have any uh, contact tracing in place to contain those outbreaks. So how much of that, Doug, is a function of Mitch McConnell or a function of Nancy Pelosi or a function of Mnuchin or, you know, on a smaller scale, a function of Cuomo? But if you're the boss, like, Newsom. let's say you're you're the boss of your department and, you know, clearly it is the different underling structures that are failing, you're still the one that's going to get fired because of the failure within your, what, you know, you're overseeing. And I mean, clearly a, a national pandemic kind of, even though each state is its own entity, it really feels like that's, that's a thing for a federal government to kind of take charge of as far as if you're going to. Right. And that's, that's why I'm saying is a huge difference between New Zealand, Australia, and the United States is because we, and, and particularly in Australia, because we have our politicians who are currently in power, uh, they, you know, if they were American, they would be even worse than Trump, like George Wallace level crazy, right? John Birch is like, like our prime minister went into parliament and talked about ritual sexual abuse based on a QAnon meme that it's a whole thing. It, it is a whole thing. But the sort of central point is that because of the bushfires and that immediate danger and that catastrophe and the fact that the government had to come together to deal with it, to remain a government, so their very existence was ex existentially threatened, meant that when society's existence was existentially threatened, there was an overlay, like that Vesca Pisces. And so we had job keeper and job seeker, which meant that if you were employed, then your employer could apply to the government where the government would pay the payroll. So your employer was no longer you, you were in the job, but now the federal government was actually giving you your fortnightly check. And it didn't matter if you were at home um, working or if you're at home sitting on the couch because you're a waitress or a tattoo artist or a, pro or a, a sex worker uh, or a masseuse or you were a cleaner or a house painter, right? If you couldn't work from home, you were still getting paid because the government had ordered you to stay home through JobKeeper. And then if you didn't have a job before the pandemic hit, you got an, a, like an extra $600 a fortnight, which is about $300 US a fortnight, extra to see you through the pandemic. So 
if Trump had really wanted to lean in, despite the whole having to lie about the mask situation, that's, I think, indicative of the entire thing, but also one small detail that even even if Trump, like, he could have strategized around it if he had chosen to lean in, right? Who is Who is actually pulling the strings? Because... It, could Trump have pushed through a bill that would have given Americans a thousand dollars a fortnight every fortnight? Trump dollars, right? Would Mitch McConnell have stopped that? I I think Mitch McConnell would have prevented that from ever getting through the Senate, even if Trump was on TV yelling and screaming about how much it needs to be done. It would have created a pretty fascinating. Um, battle in the media if Trump was screaming and yelling for 2.2 trillion or 1.9 trillion and fighting with McConnell because he was only offering 500 billion it would seem to me that you could finally um, draw a circle around the true GOP and you could have crushed them out of existence if the left was willing to play along with someone like Trump which is just an interesting question because at this point it even though like it, the amount of power McConnell has is astounding but at the same time the GOP is Trump right now for the most part like it's, yeah. it's hard to well, just well, imagine. Uh, yeah and to your point though Trump will, in in a in a month or two Trump will be gone and McConnell will still be there but will the Trump like Georgia is going to be the interesting test of that because will will the Republican voters who are into QAnon, into Trump, into the fantasy of making America great again? And there's look, there's nothing wrong with calling it a fantasy, and I don't mean that. Like, as I have a an majority. answer for you. I have an answer, but you don't have to finish the sentence. I have an answer for you. Okay, so the question is right now: the Georgia is the is going to decide who controls the Senate, right? Is it going to be a Democrat-led or a Republican-led Senate? And here's the distinction, is that leading into November, the Democrats, everyone voted for Joe Biden, not because they liked Joe Biden, but because of the existential threat of Donald Trump. The same thing could happen in Georgia, where now most, most liberals, most Democrats, See, the threat is gone, right? This, that, was, that was what I was talking about before. Everyone's like, oh, thank God I can go back to not caring about politics. I can go, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Whereas the Republican Party is saying, this is our last line of defense. We have to save the world from communism, and Georgia is the last fucking battleground. They have created the existential threat in Georgia, whereas the Democratic incomplete. Party, huh? It, it's incomplete because you've then got. Um... You know what's what's his name? The Trump impersonator, lawyer guy, who's saying it's all rigged. And you've got um, I'm gone blank on all their names. Oh, you're what, not talking uh, about Giuliani, are you? Who's no, no, no? The who was the woman who was like, I'm going to blow up Georgia, and you know we demand that the governor retire and all of that stuff. Like the the results are going to be that close that if the paranoia around the stolen election, which like they're trying to harness in order to keep that spirit high for the Republican voters 
to vote against Ossoff and Warnock for, you know, the and Loeffler who are just, I don't even know, right? They are the nihilistic, corporatist, worst elements of and yet this Trump energy to get them over the line and this Trump energy is starting to bifurcate into people who have actually lost faith in the electoral process altogether and are talking about writing Trump's yeah, yeah, and talking about riding in Trump on the ballot. So that, <laughs> you know, like, <clears throat> just look on Parler. Look at what they're saying on Parler, right? They're talking about how it's all rigged. There's no point in voting anymore. Like, the only thing that's actually going to matter is if a civil war starts and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they've, they've, the problem is that Q is the snake eating its own tail now mm-hmm. where Trump lost. And so the the politics of this local race in Georgia that isn't a local race, it's an it's an international situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's what's you so know, peculiar we, too. Like so we I mean, we could yeah. send all our money to Georgia. But that's the amount of participation that we can do, or we can tell the right, two people that, that we that know in Georgia Amy to vote. McGrath situation, where you're just sending all this money to Amy McGrath to make her rich, but she's never actually going to beat Mitch McConnell anyway. And where it? What is located in Georgia? The devil. Well, <laughs> Augusta National, home of the Masters Golf Tournament. That was played in November for the first time in its entire history. So the fate of the world rests in the state where the Nazi golfers of the future battled it out <laughs> for the green jacket. <laughs> well, maybe that's a good place for us to wrap up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll run out of time anyway. Thank yeah. you. And, and allowing me to wrap the Southern Hemisphere for the Sorry, to whatever Nick, extent I'm able to do that. You're you're Nick, right? Yeah. I don't believe I maybe we've talked, but like in one of these calls before. But it was a pleasure uh, to hear your thoughts and words today, man. Ah, oh, thanks, Bill. Um, I think we have once before, but if you ever want to call me up in the future, let me know. I'm I'm I think that. You know, you've you've been like Znor and like Alan and like uh, Doug and and uh, Will Morgan and David Plate, such an important influence in my life uh, without ever realizing it. You know, the the parasocial nature of podcasting. But um, yeah, I could. You know, your your voice in particular, Bill. is one that harkens back to po- very positive memories from eight years ago, seven years ago. Fucking A, man. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, In yeah, relation to Alan and David, of course. Like, you did not. So please don't feel left out there. Oh, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> I, uh, no, I, th- I think it's wonderful that um, I think this was great today um i know i know we pushed a little late for the guys in in england but um i'm glad we got to have them participate in the beginning and um 
I really do appreciate everybody who took part today. And, um, you know, I think ultimately the, you know, the, the, uh, the idea behind it, the spirit behind it of trying to celebrate this book, but that Zanor, um, has put out is really uh, meaningful to me. Um, I know, I know I see the value in it. I know I see how much work he put into it. And, um, I really appreciate you guys, you know, uh, helping me celebrate that, uh, and appreciate your time and your and reading and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Incredible accomplishment all around. And, uh, to Alan, thank you for, it's been a joy watching this resurgence, uh, of your creative energies. It's, uh, it's really awesome, man. Oh, well, if I, yeah, it's a whole other conversation, but to say is I, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like my creative energy is sort of ended with this this book took well, I don't I don't mean I don't mean this in anything other than the combination of this year and this book I feel like when I finished this book I was like great now I can really transition to working on this game that I wanted to work on and I I got to be real I'm, I'm struggling to find the energy um and you know it's not just a book it's I did hindsight 2020 and I just I did a lot of stuff this year I've created a lot of content and wanting to just kind of keep that snowball rolling is proving difficult. Um, and I think part of that is the uncertainty. You know, so Bill, even you said you're like, it's amazing the world isn't on fucking fire right now. And Doug, you said you, know, you felt the need to keep checking. Is anything on fire well, right now? So do you like still feel the same way? Because I feel like, I mean, I don't feel like we're in the same, the coup is a possibility um neighborhood i, I feel like yeah, it right. is still within the realm of possibility that we could go full nazi like i it could happen so yeah i'll be real with you you know uh just from like a purely um classic uh okay so during the election right like during that whole week every night you mentioned going outside and seeing jupiter and saturn so for like the whole month while the election was being debated uh you know argued who actually won all that sort of shit Every night I'd go outside to walk my dog, and what do I see shining bright? The brightest thing in the sky is Mars. And I'm like, ooh, that's a bad omen, right? This is the god of war is, like, shining down on the United States right now. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. This is, this is like a bad connotation. Nothing, Nothing's on fire. Nothing's – it is weird. It's weird how we've become so accustomed. I use this um, – uh, there's this, there's this quote. I use this guy – He's talking about the wasteland, and uh, he's like, you know, the wasteland is all talking about the you know, this apocalyptic visions. He's like, and I think the reason why this poem wasn't popular in modern Western culture is because we eat apocalypse for breakfast. We're just so fucking used to it that, like, nothing— <laughs> Right, like we just we we can't we don't have the attention span for a civil war. We're like, yeah, but, eh, it's fine, it's fine. We'll move on, you know. But We're... but the horror isn't the apocalypse. The horror sure. is waking up the next morning after the apocalypse and realizing you still have responsibility, you still have, you know, bills to pay. You still have to go into your shitty job that when you were emotionally resonating with the idea that a meteorite or planet X, mm -hmm. Nibiru, this star conjunction, it kind of took that away and, and elevated beyond reality the, the sense of that job as having any kind of lasting importance because it didn't matter. You were no longer responsible for your upcoming 
impending doom and then oh, yeah. the kind of date of the apocalypse passes and you're still here only you're kind of worse off for it because you put all your eggs into the basket of I'm going to die and it's going to be okay because I'm not committing suicide. And that, Bill, to answer your much earlier question of like feeling suckered by 2012, that was kind of the thing because we got 2013. We didn't get, you know, the singularity of realizing we're existing as a hologram being reflected from the center of a black hole on the other side. And we just got more Obama. Yeah, and I think uh, I really resonate with what you just said because, as I said, I mean, this year has been a really weird blessing and curse. It's it's really fucked with my head, if I'm, if I'm blunt. You know, so the blessing is that it gave me time for all this creative work and it allowed me to sort of reconnect with the creative energy, but it also did suck a lot of my attention and my and my you know planning for the future all, all these sorts of questions right and as you say the hangover of that is that like well i'm like i i feel stagnant in the last two months of like well is it worth working on this video game if the if if the internet gets shut down shut down and we're in a fucking civil war and blah 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 is it worth chugging away on this game right now and maybe i maybe i don't even have time to fucking work on maybe it doesn't matter you know this this sort of nihilistic impending doom or this uncertainty and all this sort of stuff and now i'm left with this hangover of like well i just wasted two months of my life worrying and i all my actual worries are still here of like oh shit i still have to like guess what you know i'm the restaurant industry is still fucking decimated. I'm still, so like all my concerns and all my problems are back just as much as before, but they're more real. Like reality has impinged, e even upon the nightmare, the nightmare was still a fantasy space where a lot of the rea the reality and the day-to-day -day concerns weren't as pre present. And now reality is impinging on that. And it's like, oh shit, exactly. I. I, I don't I don't get the fiery apocalypse or the transcendence. Instead, I just got another fucking electric bill in the mail, and I got to figure out how to pay it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Shit. <laughs> I think that says it all right now, man. <laughs> what does it say in Vallis? Uh, like when he says, uh, "It's a shame that when you find God, you don't get to keep him." <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it for sure. Fucking A. Well, I think we have uh, multiple launching points for another one of these things, and uh, I look forward to when that happens in the future. Hell yeah, agreed. Yeah. Definitely. I, we'll have to have Snorin on that one. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to talk more with you uh, in the future, Bill. Cause, right on, uh, right back at you, Nick. Yeah, we'll do something. Maybe, maybe after New Year. All right, I'll be around. And Doug, once again, uh, thanks again for organizing and uh, making this thing flow. Agreed. Thank you, Doug. This was uh, I thought this was really well organized. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Thank you, guys. Okay, well then we'll we'll call it and uh, and that was great. Yeah, it was. Later, guys. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, Nick. Thank you so much.